And welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am the little voice in your ear, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that sang for one season or less. Isn't that right, John? That is right. We are whipping out our acoustic guitars and our keyboards, and we are just, you know, following our heart song on the graves of these shows and figuring out what they did what they left behind, and ultimately, what made them one and done. Today, we are talking about Apple TV Plus's Little Voice. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about what we've been watching. Ian, what's been on your radar? So I don't really have anything to talk about that I've been watching, but I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and I wanted to tell you about, on Doug Loves Movies recently, they played a game called Tar RR. Oh, yeah. Where... He asked them questions, and he made the contestants had to answer, did this happen in Tar or did this happen in RRR? Two of my favorite movies of last year. Yeah. That's right. Did you Have you seen either of them yet? No, I still haven't. God. I uh, need to get to the theater right away to see Tar. Well, I think it's out of theaters, but it's on Peacock. Well, it's like, you know, they always put stuff back into circulation when it's an Oscar contention, so I just assume it'll be available at some point. But then uh, get on it. What's, what's will, holding you back? Good. I, I will. The other thing I wanted to talk about was I just found out that on iHeartRadio, Jason Alexander and Peter Tilden, co-creators of Bob Patterson, have a podcast coming out, and I thought you needed to know. What's it called? It, I'm assuming it's something really condescending and old like kids these days. <laughs> no, it's something where someone like talks about something and they react to it. It's very nothing. I just imagine a podcast like that being the same title as like a Tim Allen or like a Matt LeBlanc sitcom, like Last Man Standing or Man with a Plan or maybe just Joey. Yeah, their new podcast is called Joey. That's right. Oh, good. John, tell me in your little voice what you've been watching. And what I've been watching. No, I'm not going to do a <laughs> creepy little Bjork voice. Because we're doing an Apple TV Plus show, our first, I went on Apple TV Plus last night and I watched the movie Causeway, speaking of Oscar nominees, with Jennifer Lawrence and now Academy Award nominee Brian Tyree Henry. It's a really small movie about Jennifer Lawrence as this woman who had a serious brain injury when she was in Afghanistan. She comes back to New Orleans to kind of recover and starts to develop this friendship with Brian Tyree Henry, who's going through his own sort of post-traumatic figuring life out stuff kind of thing. And, okay, I love Brian Tyree Henry so much in literally everything that he does. And I will seek him out actively. And he was so, so good in this movie. And I'm so glad that he got recognition for it. It's so 
quiet but not subtle and it was just he gave so much of himself to this movie and jennifer lawrence who hasn't done like a major screen role i guess don't look up was her last one but she kind of took a break after she had a kid and i have missed her a lot she brings such power to her stuff too so very much recommend if you're looking for something very small and quiet and character-based. I think it's kind of amazing that she was in a movie where someone else had an amazing performance, but she didn't get nominated anyway. Yeah. I mean, she was, I think, in some conversations, but he's really, really good in it. And the best actress race this year, honestly, is pretty stacked. I had an opportunity to see Brian Tyree Henry on Broadway, and then I had to back out last minute a couple years ago. And I will always regret it. You weren't anybody's lobby hero that day. That was the play that he was in, I'm assuming, right? Right? Yes. Was it lobby hero? Yes. It oh. was. Oh, man. But just as the curtains rise on Broadway, the curtains rise on this podcast because it's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one. Showtime! In the summer of 2020, Apple TV Plus released an ode to the diversity of the New York independent music scene called Little Voice. A lyric in one of the show's many original songs goes, There is enough, so ask for more. Even though the creators probably did ask for more, Apple responded, That wasn't enough, as their Little Voices canceled this show after one season. Our first Apple TV Plus show, Ian, what do you think about Apple TV Plus as a platform? I don't think about it because I don't watch it. (laughs) And there's some shows that I'd kind of like to check out, I guess. Um, The one with Steve Carell where he's, is it The Patient? That's on Hulu. Well, I got nothing. (laughs) There's really nothing on there I want to watch. I don't want to watch the Aaron Paul show. I don't want to watch the Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon show. I don't want to watch C with Jason Momoa. And the only thing that kind of piques my interest is the show on there with Octavia Spencer. But that's only because she's amazing and I've heard nothing about it. I'd like to at least read a description at some point. Yeah, it's a weird platform. I have told anyone that will listen to me this thing, but... I am firmly convinced that Apple TV Plus has one great thing every three months. And it has been very consistent with that since its launch in 2019. I think that Ted Lasso, uh, Coda. I've never watched Ted Lasso. You would love Ted Lasso. Famously, I've watched the first half of the pilot and I really did not like it, but I will give it another try. Your criteria for the word famously is muddled at best i, I everybody like to... <laughs> knows my opinions about everything and they they're always thinking about me john always, always. just like true. me i'm not even here i'm just Who? a projection that you What's that little have voice manifested? that's talking to me right now <laughs> uh well it's not listening to you that's for sure so little voice was a show that was part of apple tv plus's sort of big launch plans even though Apple TV Plus came out in November of 2019. Little Voice came out in July of 2020. I don't know if you remember this. I was following it at the time. But when they announced 
Apple TV Plus, they paraded all of these stars that were going to be populating their shows onto a stage. It was the Quibi effect, you know, yeah. throw a lot of money at some big, big names. Also, is it Apple TV Plus or is it just Apple Plus? Apple TV Plus. Okay. Well, you said it about 10 times in one minute and it was pretty amazing. Thank you. Continue. Thank you. They paraded everybody onto a stage and said, look at all these shiny celebrities we have. It's like, ooh, look how tall Jason Momoa is. Look how wonderful the chemistry is between Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And kind of towards the end of this presentation, they brought out Sarah Bareilles, who is a co-creator on Little Voice, and J.J. Abrams, who is an executive producer on Little Voice. And they were talking about the show. And that was something that I know sparked my interest because Sarah Bareilles and Jesse Nelson co-created this show, and they were the creative forces behind the musical Waitress, which you and I saw together. And Mm -hmm. I don't know for you, but it was such a big surprise to me how much I was impacted by that show. If you recall, we almost didn't see it. We almost almost saw something else, but Elise really wanted to see it. We were like, oh, okay, great, sure. So we, you know, that tilted the scales. She felt stronger about that than we did about the other things. And I am so grateful for her for that. Oh, absolutely. But do you remember we got in there and the opening song, there was like something going on with the microphones or or the sound system and we couldn't really hear it. And there was this fear that this is how the whole show was going to be. That the mix was so off. Yeah. Right. But they got it together pretty quickly and it is one of my favorite musicals. Yeah, me too. Like top three. Yeah, it has one of, I think, the best musical theater songs ever in She Used to Be Mine, the 11 o'clock number of that show. And yeah, I was so blown away by most of it. There's one song that I really hate that I skip all the time when I listen to the soundtrack. Uh, listen to an old man? Oh, yeah. I love Listen to an Old Man. What about it? What about that song is I don't know. It's it's simple and it's just kind of folksy and it cuts through uh the rest of the songs cuz it's a bit different, you know. That's that's all it is. It's just like in terms of an album, it's a bit of a change of pace that I like. Uh, all the other songs are like very intricate harmonies, you know, really strong solo pieces and they have a lot to say about what's going on and that one just kind of slows everything down and is just like a nice little ditty. I don't think it's a great song, but I do, I don't know. It's simple in a way that I love. Whereas it's funny that you uh, love the 11 o'clock number because I think I actually skipped She Used to Be Mine. There are so many songs in the first act that I love that I think that when I listen to Waitress, I, for the most part, listen to the first like six songs. I didn't realize I was co-hosting a podcast with a zombie because uh, I think you have to not have a beating heart in order to not be completely swooned by She Used to Be Mine. But I just don't want to cry all the time. I want to have like nice harmony, nice, rich, robust harmonies, John, with fun lyrics. Well, as somebody that's fundamentally capable of hiding my emotions, as our co-viewer of Waitress once told me, I love to cry all the time. And she used to be mine, does that to me. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful song. I got nothing against it. 
So they both created Waitress, and then they teamed up for this show, Little Voice. Uh, again, Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams' production company kind of spearheaded it. And Sarah Bareilles wrote a lot of the music for it. There's some covers in there as well. Jesse Nelson appeared to be the showrunner of it. She has a co-writing credit on pretty much every single episode. And overall, they talked about how there are elements of the show that are kind of taken from Sarah Bareilles' early career, mm. but this is definitely not the Sarah Bareilles story. I think it's just kind of more infused with her mood during that time in her life. At least that's how I interpret it. Oh, sure. I mean, are any of the family dynamics that are front and center in the show part of Sarah Bareilles' life? Sarah Bareilles has an uncle who has Down syndrome, and we will talk a little bit about how the main character has a brother who is neuroatypical as well. Um, so there is that kind of connection. But other than that, Little Voice, though, actually the title of the show comes from Sarah Bareilles' first album in 2007. So they oh, do share okay. that. Yeah. It's interesting to me that she co-created this show, but it makes sense that the other creator has all the writing credits because the music of Waitress was so incredible, but it's actually based on a movie that's not a musical, right? Yeah. So she took a story that was already in place and just wrote an, an incredible songbook to it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this show as well showcases the rich harmonies that she can produce. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the songs too I was reading, or at least some of them, were actually songs that Sarah Bareilles wrote in her early to mid-20s that she never put on a record or produced. So it definitely infuses that with it. But the main character of the show is Bess. She's played by Brittany O'Grady, who people would recognize as Paula from the first season of The White Lotus, Sydney Sweeney's friend that tries to stage the robbery. Do we know, is she actually singing? Is that her little voice? Yeah, that is her little voice. And she's got a very beautiful little voice. I think, oh, she too. does. Yeah. It was just, uh, you know, most of the songs are sung not live and then dubbed over, so... I wasn't sure if it was actually her little voice or if it was someone else's beautiful little voice. No, I'm very confident that it is her little voice. But Sarah Bareilles actually, I think a few months after the show premiered, she actually released her own version of all of the songs in the show as a separate album called More Love. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that is a cool artistic thing for the fans to enjoy or if that is a little uh, self-serving. Oh, I think it's a lot self-serving, and she kind of leans into that with the interviews that she gives about making this album. She did a similar thing with the Waitress score as well. She made her own album of the Waitress songs to put her own spin on it. Oh, interesting. I mean, I know that she actually did play the lead and waitress on Broadway for a little bit, right? For a long time. And actually like she went in, I think about four or five different times 
to play that role, including when Waitress came back after Broadway reopened in 2021. That makes sense that that would be not only a great role for her, but also pretty convenient for them to be like, all right, the star that we got, uh, there's a there's a three-week gap between stars. Sarah, do you think you could just uh, hop on stage for about eight performances a week? Yeah. She definitely seems like she's become a more comfortable actor, both on stage, at least from the interviews that I've read with her. I haven't seen her on stage. But, you know, she just did Into the Woods on Broadway as well. Who is she, Baker's wife? Yeah, she was the Baker's wife. Okay. Yeah, I've listened to the cast recording of that. It's awesome. Yeah, but I bet even she can't save the second act. I hate the second act. <laughs> I still, the second act grew on me over many, many years. Oh, really? You originally didn't like it? I know I we've didn't. argued about yeah. this before. No. Oh. Same with Sunday in the Park with George. Did not sit with me. And then I saw one performance of it that just kind of unlocked it for me. And I was like, oh, I get this now. Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, yeah. Was Always it? Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. It was more that production. This is a huge side tangent, but it right. was that production. I've... I've never actually uh, seen or heard Sunday in the Park with George other than snippets. So, yeah, I know. And I love Sondheim, you know. Oh, God. I'll get on it. Well, speaking of the art of making art, that's a lot of what Little Voice is about. So Bess is kind of a hustler in the biggest sense of the word. I mean, she walks dogs. She teaches kids music she sings for the elderly at a retirement home she bartends it just seems like she's constantly working 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 and at night she always writes songs but she says at least at the beginning that she's only writing this stuff for herself and the show is about sort of her evolution and her breaking out of her shell to find her own little voice and her own identity as people are trying to put different identities on top of her. Right. Before the series begins, she had performed a song or two at a club and had gotten, as she says, laughed off stage. So she just writes songs for herself and makes music for herself. But she is pulled, pulled into the music industry by everyone that Loves her little voice. Right, John? Right. And we'll get into more of those grabbers and shakers and money makers. I don't know if I'm using any of those terms right, but Sounds we're going like to a commercial. You're making her sound like a different kind of hustler than nope, she is. Not that kind. Not, not the hustler of hustlers. She just has a drive. But anyway, we'll talk about that and other highlights after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Bess is on her own path throughout the course of Little Voice, but she's definitely influenced by a lot of different 
people that she cares about. I think none more so than her brother, Louis, who is on the autism spectrum, who loves musical theater more than even me, I would say. And that is a tough statement for me to admit, to admit that somebody loves musical theater more than I do. I don't think that you could rattle off the factoids and information that he could, John. I don't think you would last a second. No. He is the kind of person, like in the first episode, he is at the Phantom of the Opera stage door because Sharon Clifford is making her debut in the ensemble. And she just came off of a national tour of this show and that show. And so that is the kind of love that he has for musical theater. He he knows everything. He recognizes everybody, including Sarah Bareilles in the last episode as a little sort of fun cameo. That I Interesting thought. cameo. It's kind of like when Seth Rogen keeps popping up in The Boys once a season, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Louis lives in a home with other members of the neurodiverse community, which I loved to see Mary Lynn Baker running that home just as a oh, little. Oh, absolutely. God, the mom from Freaks and Geeks, for those that don't recognize the name. Or the mom from Girls. Or the mom. She's a great mom. But Louis had been living with Bess, and Louis, at the beginning of the series, is just transitioning into this new sort of living situation. But Louis is Bess's older brother, but Bess definitely feels like she is responsible for his care constantly. Like She always answers the phone whenever he calls. She always is there for him, even when he's like interviewing for jobs and stuff like that. So it is a very tight relationship that the two have, and Bess always feels like she needs to play that role of protector for him. Well, it makes sense considering her father is an alcoholic who kind of comes in and out of the picture, although he is very supportive and he does help out. It's just that sometimes he is not reliable, and their mom left them an undetermined amount of years ago that has really caused her to have to be the sister and the parents to him. Yeah. And her dad is also very similarly musically talented. Beautiful he, voice. Beautiful. He Big sings voice. not a little voice. He sings on the streets with uh, a sort of quartet of gentlemen and clearly had some potential to sort of have a career. Like there are people that recognize him, but it was just one of those things that like it never came to fruition, which clearly the pain that came with that manifested in serious alcoholism where he would disappear for months at a time. I wouldn't be surprised if the two went hand in hand where there was alcoholism that led to the, the, the decline and the, the decline led to more alcoholism. Yeah, it's a bit of a dog chasing its own tail at that point. They really sang in harmony with one another, the alcoholism <laughs> and the decline of the career. You are just nailing these musical motifs, <laughs> if you will. I did study music for years and can't remember much of it. Oh, what's a note? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> so this family unit definitely has musicality within them all the time. Louis was such a kindred spirit for me. I 
really appreciated everything that he was passionate about because I share similar things and I wish I had the knowledge base that he did. But obviously it could be very difficult for the people around him. Like there's a scene where Louis has just gotten kind of his dream job as an usher at a production of Fiddler on the Roof. And he can't really help himself but say all the facts about everything that he knows about this production and even recognizes a touring cast member of Hamilton that's sitting in like the fifth row and he literally climbs over the seats in order to get his autograph on the playbills. So it's a passion, but sometimes it can get in the way of his overall success. So that's Bess's family, right? Her dad and her brother. But that's probably only one third of the show to me. I would say two thirds of the show are the music and the boys, right? Oh, the the boys. Or lack thereof. Oh, the boys. Let's get into the boys. Bess has a gang of uh, gentlemen callers who fawn over every single thing that she does, even though often Bess is very dismissive of those people in her life. I think the biggest partnership that she has from a musical standpoint is uh, Samuel, who is sort of a guitarist at the club that she bartends at and that she sometimes does open mic stuff at as well. He kind of becomes her musical collaborator and backup vocalist. He's played by an actor named Colton Ryan. He looks like his name is Colton. He does. I love Colton Ryan's voice so, so much. I have been following him for a few years, mostly on the street, but sometimes in music. He... (laughs) was in the show that I saw a few years ago called Alice by Heart. And he was also in a show called Girl from the North Country, which was Bob Dylan music. And he's actually going to be headlining a musical adaptation of New York, New York, that Lin-Manuel Miranda collaborated with uh, Kander and Ebb on. So I'm very excited to see what that comes up. But there's just something about his voice. He has like the best harmonies that I can think of. Just the the depth that he brings to duets and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, harmonies technically require two voices. So that's interesting because he's never the main voice in this show. Right. So he's always singing back up. He's always pairing with her. Some would call him the littler voice, the very little voice, but getting bigger. Yeah. They, um, they sound great together. The songs always pop when he comes in. Mm-hmm. Right. And from the beginning of their relationship, uh, he's playing a show with another band, but then the other singer can't get on stage. So Bess like just kind of goes on stage and is like, I'm going to sing. And he supports her right off the bat. And then they start to collaborate more. And she has these like slower melodies. She has this attitude of like, my lyrics are so deep, you mm-hmm. know, my feelings it's it's more brooding and he really brings in more of an upbeat tempo that sort of brightens everything up and makes it a little bit more fun while also not being like poppy though too it's just a little bit more sort of tempo i think is the the key there too yeah 
and he backs off when she has a strong opinion too, which is fine. Like they learn how to collaborate together. But that was actually one of the things about the show that spoke truest to me was when she was trying to collaborate with other artists and clearly she's not used to it, mm-hmm. you know, like collaborating is difficult, you know, even when it comes to this show, uh, okay, we have an idea where we review TV shows that were canceled after one season, right? What's the format, right? Like what's the theme song? What There's all these decisions that have to be made that even though me and you know each other very well, it's still like we had to have some difficult conversations. We had to put our foot down when we cared about something when the other person, you know, didn't like it's not easy to collaborate on even sometimes the simplest of creative agendas. And I thought that the show did a really good job of showcasing that. Yeah. I will stand by that and say, I am an absolute nightmare to work with. So I, fully agree with everything that Ian was saying. <laughs> I love shows that take the time to show that sort of collaboration and the way that things build on top of each other in order to get to a final product. Like I was just watching uh, Sing Street, like right before we started recording. Have you ever seen Sing Street? Is it a reality show, John? God, no. Ugh, no. Jesus. Sounds like it is. No, it's... The movie follow-up to Once uh, that the director John Carney did. Okay. And it's about a boy in 1980s Ireland who basically starts a band in order to get the attention of a girl. But it's so much more than that. And the music in it is some of my favorite original music for movies ever. And it's another thing where they just take the time. And they show conversations with the artists and figuring out, okay, do we go up here? Do we go down here? What's the best way to tell the story? Like, can we speed this up? Can we slow this down? I think another movie that does this really well, Hearts Beat Loud with Kiersey Clemens and Nick Offerman, where there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where they're making this song and they literally take a whole montage to show layer by layer how this song is built. I just think that stuff is so cool and it's so interesting to see how those conversations play out. And I think that there's so much good, rich drama in just making stuff at that level. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people think they want to have a comedy show or make a movie or make a song or something like that. And I've found that most people fail when it comes to collaborating. Like most people that I know that got really into performing and then stopped at some point are the people that I know could never quite wrap their head around having someone else build on their idea Hmm. or like finding a good way to work on someone else's idea. You know, like it is truly a talent or uh, something you have to work on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do like seeing that that progress. Uh, we were talking about the boys, though, and I think we should get back to the boys, uh, the soft boys in her life. We have her manager, who's the waiter that works at the restaurant that she works at, who he has no romantic interest in her, at least not that we know of. But he is very into her music and he's just a bright, smiley guy. Right. Yeah. Just like a motivational speaker, but in the 
West Village or wherever they are. Benny is astoundingly not her manager at the beginning, even though he like sets her up with all these gigs and meetings and shows her these song contests that she can enter. But then she like halfway through the show is like, Hey, I need a manager. I was like, I, you already were the manager, Benny, Benny, you're gold. Keep doing what you're doing, Benny. You don't need her validation. She gets paid in a commercial that he got her and he doesn't even get the 10% that he deserves or whatever it is. And Uh, he's like, so should we make it official? And there is a hesitation on her part that I'm like, he's doing everything for you. Literally everything. He gets her her first big gig. He even has the care because she has such big stage fright, at least at the beginning of the show. He's like, you need to get out there. Let's get you smaller gigs. And so she's like playing at a place that looks like a strip club in the one of the earlier episodes. She also plays at another place that looks like a storage container. There are these really small intimate things in order for her to build her confidence. And that's all Benny, man. Benny's the one that's setting that up. Exactly. But she works in a storage container and apparently so does so much of New York because that is how she meets Ethan. And that is where we start the show with her playing a song and with hands in his pockets, Ethan walking over (laughs) And being like, hey, I really like your sound. You're beautiful. I love I love it. And it is a proxy for you because I am going to flirt with you. But guess what? I've got a girlfriend, don't I? Womp womp. That was right. my British womp womp. I don't know if but, that rang through. <laughs> I did get that. It's like uh, an ambulance. They sound different over there than they do over here. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> He walks around with his hands in his pockets for, I swear, three episodes of just like the shrug and the hands in the pockets. Like, oh, uh, I'm into you, but uh, I have a girlfriend that followed me here from London. And also uh, we're clearly flirting, but let's just be friends and let's not hold hands while we cross the bridge. Mm-hmm. Can't and do let me that. Direct a music video where I stare at you all the time. <laughs> And film you in the most angelic light that you could ever possibly have. Ethan is arguably the biggest problem I have with this show. They did not work for me. As a couple, as a potential couple, I did not get why they were together or why they had this weird sort of torrid affair or even what about either of them was going to make them appealing to the other person. Well, he was the first boy to give her goo goo eyes that said, you're talented, you're precious, you're beautiful, your music is incredible, and I get you. And she needed that. She had low confidence, John. She did need that. And then the second that she finds out that he has a very serious girlfriend who followed him from across the pond, every time that his girlfriend Lila is with him, on screen he just like sighs and he's like Ugh, this one am i right and i'm like dude she's right there <laughs> you i justice for lila honestly ethan sucks i think the reason that Bess, in her heart and in her mind can justify um hanging out with ethan and flirting and possibly hooking up i guess i don't know they're like he's in her apartment at one point so i don't know what happened there but <laughs> His girlfriend 
from the very beginning is like, oh, I can't wait for him to not like New York anymore so we can go back to London because this is just some silly little fling he's having with being an artist, but really he needs to grow up and, you know, let's just assume she wants him to work in finance. She never says that, but she doesn't want him to be a director the way he wants to be. So I think that Bess sees this unsupportive girlfriend and is like, you know what? Your man's is my man's. <laughs> yeah, the timing of this show and like the stretch of time in which it takes place is very confusing. And I think Ethan and Bess's relationship is very indicative of that. Like, have they been together a week? Have they been together a month, a season? I don't really know. And they don't really say how long that this has been developing. And so therefore it made it more difficult for me to buy it as something that like this has been developing over a long period of time and I've hit my breaking point. But the starting point was like five minutes before from a TV show perspective. So how have you already hit your breaking point with this? Right. Uh, Episode eight or nine, she says to her mom that at some point her mom arrives out of nowhere Actually, it's right as her dad disappears into his alcoholism. She says to her mom, a year ago, I was laughed off stage. And now look at me playing music. And I'm like, wait a minute. How long ago were you laughed off stage from the first episode? How long has this been? Yeah, she wasn't laughed off stage, though, in the first episode. She just kind of bailed. So she originally started to sing one of her original songs, and then she goes into an Aretha, or no, she goes into I Will Survive, a cover of that. No, but I'm referring to what she's talking about from before the series started. Yeah. Was she but was I don't, left off stage. Yeah, I agree. I don't know when that was or what the sort of time period was, but it's just a general push for her to get off her butt and get her life started, you know? Yeah. And it is all part of this sort of journey for her career. And I mean, things escalate, at least through the nine episodes, I think pretty steadily, but also kind of quickly. Here's the path that I saw. She doesn't know what she's going to do with her music. She enters a songwriting contest about writing something with the prompt or referring to the word hope. She wins that, which gets her studio time at Electric Lady, which is also featured in High Fidelity. We were talking about that earlier. See our High Fidelity episode. We love music and grungy, grungy New Yorkers. There she meets a producer slash engineer guy who is that character actor who I don't know his name, but he always plays the guy who's kind of like hunching over and is trying to whisper something in your ear, even though you definitely don't want him to. He always carries that vibe. And he tries to get her in front of some record people, but the record people don't really know how to define her. And all of a sudden, she's got her confidence back, and that's where we end the season. Did I miss any steps there? Yes, you missed so many steps. First, she's nervous. (laughs) Then she crashes the stage. Then Benny gets her a gig at a small venue. Then her song uh, wins the contest. Then she records a song. Her dad gets in the studio. We learn he's an alcoholic, and this is why his career never took off, John. 
Then she makes a music video about the song that they've recorded. Oh, I forgot about the music. Then video. Benny somehow gets her so many different meetings with different producers. God bless at Benny. Actual record labels. Like it's easy. Like all you have to do is write a couple good songs and sing at a couple stages. And all of a sudden, wow, look at all these meetings you can just get, even though your manager has zero experience. But passion. Plenty of gusto. I'll give him that. And then, I don't know, then it turns out the producer's a scumbag, and then she sings a song at the end of the show that clearly is going to go viral, and one of the producers that spurned her before writes her name down on a cocktail napkin, and then the show ends, John. Underlines that name as well. He underlines it. There's the detail that I can add. Where the show was going if a season two would have happened. Yeah, it would have kept uh, following her uh, trajectory. But before we get into our verdict, I do want to talk about the songs. So the songs for me are very much like my feelings on the show overall, in that I love half of them very (laughs) much. And I think that some of them like just scratch some musical itches that I have in such a deep and like instant way that I can't ignore it. And I listen to these songs regularly. I watched the show when it aired and I still listen to the soundtrack, but only selections from it. Mm. Can you guess like any of the ones from, you know, the song list that might've hit me in that way? I'm not going to lie. The songs all kind of blended together for me a little bit. And if Uh, there is one, it doesn't mean I didn't like them. It was just that when it came to the narrative of the show, I saw that they were tying into the narrative of the show, but it wasn't usually very obvious. So the songs to me never fully felt connected to Bess's life the way that I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of except for, and here's what I want to, I want to predict about your reaction. Ghost light is the song I want to talk about. Okay. Talk about ghost light. It's not the one that I'm thinking of, but no, but I want to talk about it because from a narrative perspective, she starts to write it by first. She's procrastinating by cleaning, which I was a really good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that is like, so true. And then she sees that some wallpaper is peeling in her apartment by her piano. And then she sees the old wallpaper. And then she imagines how the apartment used to look and who used to live there, the immigrants in like the 1910s, right? And she imagines several different families and mostly they're women that are not being seen by -hmm. whoever they're with. And she doesn't want them to be forgotten. And it was a little bit like a my so-called life ghost scene to me. And I wonder if that's how you took it. I did not, actually. I did not make that connection at all. Because I saw that more so as her being influenced by the past as opposed to my so-called life, which is like her directly talking to the past and also other characters talking to these people, which that's was true, fully insane. But no, the ones that really got me were two of them. Uh, there's coming back to you, 
which is a song that she sings with Samuel at like her first sort of small gig, Mm -hmm. which there's just something about the tempo of that song and the harmony that she and Colton Ryan have together that just really like hits me in a very unique spot. And then more love the song that she makes a music video for was one that again, it's just that sort of like, syncopation and the way that they come together and it just makes me very happy and I I run to this music I like cry to this music there's a couple other ones even like some of the covers like I love the cover that she and Samuel do to uh, Valerie in Washington Square Park yeah that's a good one for sure and it's a good scene too because it's probably two and a half minutes. I mean, oh, it's yeah. longer than I think most shows would have stayed on that moment. But and it's so like light and fun too as a scene because it follows this thing where Bess doesn't want Samuel to be like a partner in her stuff. And so she's just trying to like pay him off. And he's like, no, we're in this together. And she kind of ignores him. And she goes to. He's like, don't you see my goo goo eyes? I got those goo goo eyes. So good. Goo goo gaga. And he follows her to Washington Square Park. And they're both like overlapping, singing Valerie. He's like purposefully delaying himself so that he's like kind of playing over her. It's a little bit in the round. yeah. Yeah. And then they come together and sing it together. And I just think that's a really nice moment for their relationship. But actually, the songs that I didn't like were the ones that were more obviously tied to the story. Like, the one that I always skip is a song called Simple and True, which is very clearly about her longing for Ethan. And it's a long song, and it just kind of drags for me, and it's just not there. Or, like, another one called Tell Her, which is, again, about Ethan just being like, tell your girlfriend that you love somebody else. It just like falls flat for me. So I think it's really interesting that you wanted something that was more tied to the narrative. And I actively like push that stuff away. Uh, No, it actually makes a lot of sense to me that this is, um, that these are your feelings. And I would for validating my feelings. I appreciate it. Well, I don't want to, (laughs) Um, but I would bring it back to flight of the concords actually in a weird way. Season one is incredible because they had incredible songs and they wrote kind of bizarre storylines to go with the songs. Season two, they wrote the stories and then they wrote songs to match the stories and the songs in season two are not as strong as the songs in season one. That's true. Right? In a lot of the ways. And so it totally makes sense that they probably had a little bit of both in this, especially if Sarah Burles had written a lot of these songs when she was younger. They... She's like, well, I have these songs. How do we shoehorn them into the show? And then they're like, okay, this is a show about songs. We need more songs in here. Uh, look, she's uh, eating a churro. Can she write a song about how uh, <laughs> how warm and how delicious the churro is and how it warms her spirit? And uh, now she's uh, dancing on a cloud. I don't know. But, you know, it's like one is art and one is a little bit more forced by function Mm -hmm. and i completely see why half would be one way and half would be the other yeah we've talked a lot about this show but we're gonna go to a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with our verdicts and some dunzos 
And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Ian again. And I'm going to do something that I don't think you're used to your podcast hosts doing, but I'm going to lecture you, okay? Because I see you out there. I know where you are. I know what you're doing. Well, you're listening to a podcast, but you're out there in Nottingham. You're out there in Cleveland. You're out there in Boston. You're out there in Finland. You're out there in Israel. You're out there in the Azores. And you're out there in some places in Lithuania I can't pronounce. And all over America. And guess what you're not doing? You're not reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I mean, giving us a review on Spotify and everything else is great, but let's be honest here. I need you to review this on Apple Podcasts. That is, of course, unless you don't like it. Okay, back to the show. John, we've heard Bess's little voice. We've heard Sarah Bareilles' little voice. But now I want to hear your little voice. And out of that mouth, I want to hear if you would renew this show. Okay, you're going to have to wait a little bit to hear whether or not I would renew because I need to work through some stuff here. Please. Little voice, and one of the big reasons I wanted to do this show was because it can be such a frustrating experience watching the show. Mm. I found myself so confounded by some of the narrative choices in it that I completely lost myself to the anger that I had towards the potential for what this could have been. And I think a big part of that is the Ethan of it. And again, I just didn't get it and why they were spending so much time on it. And I think that if this was a show that focused a little bit more on Bess and her career and her family, which I thought were the most compelling parts of it, then it would be something that was really special. As it is, though, yes, I would renew. Whoa. And that's because the songs are really wonderful, and the story is compelling enough that I would want to see where it goes. I don't think it does anything particularly new and inventive here, but also I just love New York, and I love seeing how they film it and the different corners and seeing the different artists highlighted. And maybe that's just sort of my wish fulfillment of never having lived in New York. The eighth, eighth character of the show is your favorite character? I New would York? say the eighth. Yes, definitely. Did you count that out before you said that? I'm guessing, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Okay, cool. <laughs> if you were asking me about would I renew from my memory of it, when I watched it for the first time two years ago, I would say no. But re-watching it, it brought up the things that I did like about it and the elements of it that I would want to keep exploring. Specifically, Louis, specifically, more great original music from Sarah Bareilles. So, yes, I would renew. How about you, Ian? Would you renew? I would not renew and I think I have similar feelings to you I thought that the strongest parts of this show 
were the family dynamic, the relationships to her family and her roommate. Um, forget pretty much all of the romantic relationships for me. Like yeah. all of that, like will they, won't they, uh, I'm awkward. I'm a man trying to save you from your feelings. I'm a vulnerable Ugh. young woman. Please try to save me from my feelings. Yeah. Like that did not read to me at all. And that was like two thirds of the show between that <laughs> and the, I'm sorry, that's one third of the show is the the romantic part. Another third of the show is about trying to rise in the music industry and I can see where it's going. And we kind of talked about this in like Zach Stone is going to be famous episode and maybe one or two other things where I get it. I see the trajectory of a music career. I don't need to see more seasons of rising through that pretty much at all. Um, Actually, I think that contradicts what I said in (laughs) the get down episode of where I would have liked that to have gone in season two. But anyway, Um, so I, so two thirds of it, I really did not care for. I don't really want to watch storytelling about people trying to get famous and trying to be artists and trying to be, you know, a part of this thing that's just making so much of life boring to me. Um, (laughs) you know, as an artist myself, I get it. It's a, it's a strong urge that a lot of people have and a lot of people, think is interesting to watch. Whereas I have consumed so much of that, I'm just kind of over it. So I, you know, whatever. But the family dynamic, the brother, the dad, the mom coming back, the relationship to the roommate, which we'll get to, um, very strong. The harmony's incredible. The songs kind of blended together for me. I didn't think that one sounded distinctly different than another. I'm sure that I would feel differently if I actually listen to the album. Like I actually, I think I will, but it was just in the course of the shows. I was like, it's just an, another, her little voice doesn't change. It's the same little voice throughout. It's just the harmony that changes. And sometimes he throws in um, a different tempo, you know, ah, oh, gosh, the family dynamics are so strong in this. Yeah. It's just there was so much about the show that made me roll my eyes. Yeah, that. No, believe it, me, I get, I get it. I, yeah. and I think the one of the most promising things to me that would kind of push it over the edge for me was actually, I think, the best blending of the family with the song, and that was the. There's a song called "King of the Lost Boys." They established this relationship between Bess and Louis. And Peter Pan is something that kind of ties them together. It's something that calms him down when he's upset. It's something that she plays Wendy, he plays Peter. And there's this really beautiful scene, I think, after he gets fired from his ushering job where there's a shot of the two of them sitting on the subway and they're playing this song. And it also kind of intercuts with a shot of the two of them that when they're younger and he's dressed up as Peter Pan. And I just thought that was a really sort of beautiful moment between the two of them and sort of gave me the hope of if they stuck with this, what more they could mine from this relationship. You know, what's funny about what I think about when 
I see that Peter Pan moment with the two children. I think these are two child act- actors that they hired for a couple of hours and they really milked that bit um, to show that relationship to kind of uh, save money. I think a little bit on, on just getting child actors like the mom has a picture of them in their Peter Pan outfits later. And I was like, all right, that's just like a picture they took from they shot with those kids for like three hours on the day. And then they stretched it into like having it be in a little bit of a couple episodes. Uh, I do think it's nice, but I watch these things, especially filming in New York. And that's what I think about. Yeah, it's a it's a complicated show, dude. It's a tough show to hate, but it's a tough show to love. Well, hopefully your jagged edges can be smoothed out enough to give out some Dunzo Awards. Yes, it's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the littlest, it could be the voiciest, whatever it may be. We have decided to give these shows their just desserts. Each of us get two Dunzo Awards to give out. Ian, what is your first Dunzo Award? My first award is the You Don't Need Any Lines to Make Me Cry. And that goes to June Squibb. Oh, God, I was waiting for this. Yes. Oh, yeah. You knew yeah. I'd bring up June Squibb because oh, of course. ever since I saw her in Nebraska, I have been in love with her. Oh, man. I Honestly, that was another reason why I wanted to do this show so bad was just to give you a chance to bask oh, in your Squibb. Squibb. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I still think she should have won an Oscar for Nebraska. And anytime she's popped up in anything since, she just brings it, man. She brings it to every role she has. She has an incredible performance in the HBO show Getting On, where she plays a very complicated patient for these nurses to deal with, where she's in a lot of pain. She's suffering. She's also completely racist, and her nurses are people of color. And it is. A very strong, tough performance to watch, but like only June Squibb could bring in empathy. Oh, God, she's good. So in this show, in Little Voice, she plays a character with some sort of dementia or Alzheimer's that essentially seems like she's trapped in her own body. Um, She can hear and understand everything you're saying, but she can't respond. And at some point in the series, we learn that she used to be a Broadway dancer or performer at the end of the show Bess comes in and plays a song from a show she was in in like the 50s or 60s it was, or whatever it was she was a backup dancer to Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's and Bess sings Moon River right and all of a sudden this character who has been in three episodes before this and her function has been to sit and stare All of a sudden, her eyes awaken. She starts to move a little bit. She dances a little bit with her arms. She's smiling. And it just shows how music can really tap into this part of our brain that the rest of our consciousness just seems to be separate from. And it not only shows how cool and special and beautiful music can be, it also made me cry. Yeah. And I'm telling you, Maybe I'm just in a point in my life where old people make me cry right now, but oh my God, 
just that little dance she does with her hands. It's oh, just yeah. so clear that this great memory is flowing into her in a way that her body can respond to. And it's, oh, only no, June Scribb could do it. It's a great balance of that sort of idea of music can move you, but it's also not like, oh, she's been in a wheelchair and she can finally walk because she's a, dancing. <laughs> look at her go. Look at her tap her toes. It's just this beautiful little like arm sort of dance. And it's so subtle and beautiful. Yeah, she had very little to work with with this thing. And then to have that sort of catharsis at the end of it was great, especially because there are so many threads that this show leaves on the table that I'm so glad that they gave her a little bit of a conclusion to her mini, mini, mini arc. Right. And I think it shows a lot of why Bess is into music at all. You know, it brings a strong relationship to her father. They can harmonize when he's not being the best dad in the world. They can still sing and make beautiful music. And in this way, she can truly affect someone positively who needs it. And that's what makes it kind of worth it for her after she's been snubbed by all these producers and all these big record companies. And she's not feeling great in general about even, you know, her mom just left, whatever. And this is like, this is why I do it. And it was Mm -hmm. just a great scene. John, what is your first Dunzo? My first Dunzo award goes to the character who should have had her own show and didn't necessarily belong in this one. And that I'm going to give to Prisha. Uh, Hmm. Prisha is Bess's roommate. And I really loved Prisha as a character. She was very complicated, an Indian woman with very traditional parents, but also a uh, closeted lesbian who also plays in a mariachi band. There's a lot going on with Prisha, especially as her parents kind of set her up with this guy who they all think Prisha is going to marry, but obviously Prisha isn't attracted to him. And then we find out that this guy is also in love with somebody else, a Chinese woman, I believe. So they're both kind of harboring these secrets from their families and they decide to sort of keep this ruse up. But Prisha's lover, who is in her mariachi band, is jealous of all this. And there's so much like interesting stuff going on with Prisha, but it just muddled the overall story. I think they were trying to throw too many storylines into little voice. I think in general, and I think this is one that you could have told that story in a more interesting way somewhere else or in some other way, or just sort of like reined it in to give her scenes where she could shine as opposed to giving her about arguably like 15 to 20% of the screen time in the show, I would say. It just seemed like it was just another example of this show feeling a little overstuffed, but not necessarily with bad things, just in ways that detracted from what the show was really trying to communicate. I mean, the hate crime that she suffers felt like a little bit of a sidestep. It it comes out of nowhere, and I'm not saying that's not how it happens in real life, but... Yeah, Prisha gets a bottle thrown at her head when 
some guys see her kissing a girl. Like, it's rough. Right. And they yell some ethnic slurs at them. Also, you know, it's when we find out she's gay and then we meet her parents, I think, for the first time. Yeah, in the hospital. Yeah. Right. We really start to learn about her family dynamic. And I actually am going to disagree with you. I really liked her storyline. I'm not saying I disliked her storyline. I just think that in the grand scheme of things, you felt like it still fit within everything, though? I did. I think it was kind of the water that cut the alcohol in the right amount. (laughs) Okay. You know? I get that. I get that. I think for me, it was just... Another thing that frustrated me about this, because I was like, I want to spend more time with you, but also spending so much time with you is taking away from the stuff that is also here. And it just sort of her storyline wasn't bad. It just exemplified an issue I had with the show itself. I think you're right, though. I think there could have been a lot more to it where she could have just had her own show um, because it was a pretty strong story and storyline. Also, did you notice her mom? Her mom is an incredible actress. She's like so good. Yeah. a powerhouse. She's in Mr. Robot and House of Cards. And it was kind of interesting uh, to see her play like a sort of traditional stereotypical Indian mother, you know, who's like very into arranged marriages and does the India voice pretty much. I mean, because she doesn't normally have that accent. So I know it comes from a place of truth. Like it's fine. I feel fine about that casting, but uh, I was like, wow, what an incredible actress to put into this performance that otherwise could have felt very stereotypical to me. Yeah. That ties a lot to my second Dunzo, but before I get to that, what is your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo is the Blue Bag Doritos Award. (laughs) The Blue Bag of Doritos is showing up now for, uh, I believe, a third time. The only other time I can think of is Queens, but I'm pretty sure that there was another show we watched where out of nowhere, there's a scene where someone's eating from a blue bag of Doritos. It's never... It never happens before. It never happens again. But it is a part of the scene. It's not hidden. It's clearly shoehorned in there um, as some advertising. It made sense as to what she was doing, though. I didn't recognize this again. Am I? Is this like part of me being colorblind that I didn't see the blue bag of Doritos again? It might be because it pops. It's the scene <laughs> when she is uh, clean crastinating. She's okay. also sometimes going to the kitchen to eat from her blue bag of Doritos, John. Okay. And it is just so funny that this keeps popping up. I think you're on the verge of uh, starting a conspiracy theory. Uh, oh, yeah. You're building the cork board. You've got your string ready and uh, you are about to start making some ties. Yeah, it's there's red string. I'm connecting the dots. I haven't left my room for days. Uh, I've drank a lot of coffee and smoked way too many cigarettes. Yeah, you could tell your voice and your ah. teeth. Ah. <laughs> yeah, no, they've always been mahogany colored. John, what is your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo award is the Walk Off Home Run Award, and I'm giving that to Katrina Lank who comes in as Bess and Louie's mom in the last two episodes, and I think crushes it. I really loved her. And 
again, the reason I connected it to the talk about Prisha's mom, just this is a character who came back from a long time away as a sort of born-again Christian, and she is trying to make amends with her children and talk about how difficult it was, but she brings so many layers to what could have been a pretty stereotypical sort of mom, troubled mom trying to make amends thing. Like there's a scene where Louis, we haven't even talked about Louis's vlog, uh, Louis King, the King of Broadway. And he's filming this and he's singing a song from Annie on top of the Chrysler building. And Katrina Lent gets so embarrassed that she actually slaps Louis. I mean, there's a buildup to it, but you kind of find out that Louis has been keeping the secret that his mom abused him when he was a kid. And that's why she left. And that's why she left because, as she says, I was trying to keep you away from me because I didn't know what I could do. And yeah, there are some big sort of tears and stuff, but there's so much with Katrina Lank where she holds on to a lot without sort of expelling a lot. And I've seen her on stage three different times in the band's visit, in the company where she played the female version of Bobby, and in a filmed version of this play called Indecent. And she brings that to everything that she does. And I'm also doing this as pandering to my dad, who is a huge Katrina Link fan and also a very avid listener of this podcast. So, but I am not just pandering. I just think she is extraordinary as an actor. And I love seeing her in anything. And she really brings a lot to the end of this season. So she was the female Bobby, huh? She was great. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my big regrets that I never got to see it. I think, uh, when did that show open? Was it like February 2020? It started previews in early March of 2020, closed, and then reopened in 2021. Right. So when I lived in New York, I was fully planning on seeing that because Company is my favorite musical. Mm -hmm. And I was very interested in seeing that performance, but never got to. Um, Yeah, I think it opened a week before Sondheim died. Whoa. Yeah. So he got to be at opening night, but yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Although to your argument, I think that she justifies Prisha having so much screen time a little bit because Prisha's family dynamic is very different from Bess's family dynamic and Bess in a little way gets adopted into her family just because they're like, oh, we're around, we have food, we're doing family stuff, Bess, you're a part of it right now too. And then Bess and Prisha at different points are like, look, our families don't really get us, we don't get the support that we require from them, therefore we are each other's chosen family. And I think you could argue that that's why Prisha has so much screen time, but maybe I'm stretching. Again, I don't think that Prisha doesn't deserve screen time. No, yeah. It's just that there's a clear family dichotomy going on where one family's compared to the other. That's all. But I think that the Katrina Link side of things sort of showcases that really well, and the Prisha side of thing also showcases that really well. So when you just have two different storylines kind of saying the same point, it feels a little redundant. Mm. And I don't know if they say the same point, but 
We don't need to be any more redundant. We need to take a quick commercial break and then talk about why the show is canceled. And now a word from our sponsors. Little Voice premiered in July of 2020. Ian, do you know when it was canceled? September of 2020. August of 2021. Wow. And this is a notable show, too, because it is the first Apple TV Plus show that got canceled after one season. Oh, wow. Yeah. So obviously very less than two years into its life cycle. So there hadn't been much before. I think one month or two months after this, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt show, Mr. Corman, was canceled. But that was a much shorter window. I think Mr. Corman premiered in... August of 21 and got canceled in like October or November of 21. So I think they're a little bit more ready to cancel things a little bit sooner, but this was a big deal for them because they were like positioning themselves as the platform to enable creators. So then when you start to cancel shows after one season, maybe that sort of hurts that reputation, I think. But Apple TV Plus also had a couple things happen from the beginning of Little Voices sort of run to when it got canceled. I think one of the big things was obviously COVID. I was looking at sort of the gap between shows that Apple TV Plus had. Ted Lasso premiered a month after Little Voice in August of 2020. The next original Apple TV Plus show, I believe, premiered in April of 2021. So they had a huge gap uh, that was certainly halted by COVID. And when you have something like Apple TV Plus, which is only original content, they're not licensing anything. COVID hit Apple TV Plus hard because they had to shut down production on anything, and therefore they couldn't really have anything new premiering for a long period of time. So I think that time, late 2020, early 21, was a big sort of reevaluation period for Apple TV Plus in figuring out how they can keep people engaged. I think that in 2020 and you know halfway through 2021 as well, you really needed a good reason to justify continuing filming in New York. Yeah. Like Succession could do it because it has a big audience, you know. Only Murders in the Building could do it because Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez and plenty of Emmy nominations and I think its ratings are good too, but you and know, they are. And they yeah. are, right? But we saw with our High Fidelity episode, even though it was a known entity, already could not uh, justify filming in New York with the lack of an audience that it had. And uh, I I think of our friend Matt worked on Gossip Girl for a Mm -hmm. while in uh, when HBO Max started that back up during COVID. And I got to think that they could do that because Gossip Girl was so big when it originally came out that that was worth taking a chance. But I just think this show was probably not big enough to justify not just the expense of of shooting in New York, but during COVID, especially 
hassle, huge hassle from what I've heard, you know, just yeah. all the regulations. You can't be six feet apart. You And then usually New York in movies, it's there's crowds everywhere. You couldn't be around crowds. It just sounds so difficult. Even if it's not worth it money wise, it's like barely worth your time. Yeah, absolutely. Be, and this was a show that was built on its sort of talent behind the camera, really. Right. You know, on the back of Sarah Bareilles and J.J. Abrams. And Sarah Bareilles had kind of moved on, honestly, after this. I mean, shortly after this, too, was Girls 5 Eva. And that's doing really Is she well. she a co-creator of that? No, but she's on it. She's, you know. Oh, the, okay. She's number one on the call sheet for that. And oh. Yeah. She's the lead, I would the say. The only thing I know about that show is Tina Fey, Busy Phillips, and anything you tell me about it. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so, so funny. And she's great in it. So I think with a creator who is off doing something else, everything that you just said about filming in New York, plus the sort of lack of overall discourse around it, Apple doesn't release ratings. They don't even say really how many people have subscribed to their service. They keep everything very hush-hush. But it's impossible, I think, to justify a continuation of this if nobody's really talking about it anymore and you're already facing such an uphill battle with the rest of your stuff, too. I'm like, maybe if the soundtrack was a huge hit. Or something. If people were like, even if you didn't watch the music, but people were like, man, have you heard this song that brings people to buy the album that drives interest in the show? Something. There's nothing like that. No, no hype. But that's such an interesting point, too, because show comes out July of 2020. One of the big things that you can do to promote music is tour, is live performances. That's how people make money and that's how people get attention now. You can't just like throw something on a platform and hope for the best unless you are a well-known entity. You have to promote yourself and get yourself out there. I think one of the things that they probably would have tried to do is, you know, for example, go on morning shows, uh, maybe have like a concert in New York where Sarah Barella sings all the music, which I think she did for Waitress uh, before that run too. And she filmed it actually. And so there's so many other promotional things that you could do, but they didn't have that at their disposal because of the time in which the show was released. And then when they finally got the chance to do that, I mean, the show was already a year old by, you know, summer of 21 when people were going back out and doing things like that again. So really a victim of circumstance as well as just kind of not being enough to drive that engine. And it was actually like decently well-reviewed. It had a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 60 on Metacritic. Yeah. Yeah. But 77 and 60, that's not love reviews. That's like. And like might not be enough to overcome a lot of potential issues going forward. I think that the only people this show is truly for are me, teenage to adolescent girls, and, yep. and then into their 20s, and people that want to break into the music industry. Like, those are the people that are going to love this show. For everyone else, there is not quite enough. So ask for more. 
to fill you up. Nobody's keeping score. Those are lyrics from a song. Oh, I was going to say I'd rather just watch uh, rewatch Seinfeld for the hundredth time. It's actually not true. I think I've I've hit my limit with Seinfeld. I need to put it wow. away for like a year or two. I I can't really watch it anymore. I know too much. Proud of you for understanding your limits. Any other lingering thoughts? I just wanted to talk about how strange it was that at the end of episode eight, there is a song from the Garden State soundtrack that pops up. Oh, yeah. And it didn't even really feel like it fit the scene that well. I mean, I thought it made for a good moment cinematically, and it's because for whatever reason, that song is just begging to be put into a movie or a TV show. But And I like the song, and I, I think I have nostalgia from it because the Garden State soundtrack was so big, it had plenty of hype. Um, I put on Frau Frau the other day, <laughs> which I hadn't listened to in forever. You should listen to the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child soundtrack. Same person. Frau Frau? Uh, the woman who was the lead singer for, I believe it's Fru Fru, but I might be wrong. Well, they're not big enough for me to know their name, just to know the one big song from Garden State. Um, <laughs> that just kind of seemed weird to me. Was it weird to you? Or was yeah. it good? It didn't uh, seem I, like I mean, I liked it anywhere liked it. else. No, they didn't do it very much. But I did right. like the sort of, you know, you hear sort of a guitar motif and then it pays off in a song like two episodes later. Like, I like that kind of stuff. And I hope that they leaned into that more. Any final thoughts for you? I have one big final thought. And I think it's that episode six, which is called Tell Her, is one of the most aggravating half hours of TV I've seen in a long time. Let me run down the events of this episode. So this is the episode that starts with the affair of Bess and Ethan. And Ethan says like, oh, I haven't told her yet, but I'm gonna. And that just like sends Bess spiraling. She ignores this like really rude customer that at the bar that she's bartending at uh, she seemingly has no regard for anyone around her. In this cargo bay event space, she just gets wasted and sings this song that I don't really like. She's late to the studio because she's hungover, and she gets called to a rare record store because her drunk dad tried to steal a rare copy of Annie, and that all led to Louie's birthday cake getting melted and him being upset at her. And then it ends with her leaving her notebook on the subway, the notebook that has all of her songs in it. That's an entire episode, and it's just such a pile-on for this character. And throughout the entire thing, she keeps doing this thing that Bess does throughout the show where it's just like, everything's great. Everything's great. Why Why wouldn't it be great? I'm great. I'm great. Say great two more times. And yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, the soft boys around her are like, no, let me help you. And she's like, I don't need your help. Everything's great. And they're like, no, this isn't you. This isn't the you that I fell in love with. Basically, they don't actually say that. But, you know, it's like the cringiest back and forth romantic stuff that you have seen a million times. And the like drinking too much. I get that they were trying to show the parallels between her and her dad or whatever. And yeah. the effects that his alcoholism has had on her. But it played like some sort of bad high school PSA 
that you have to watch in gym class about not drinking, right? Yeah, because this like lecherous engineer is just like, the lady says she's good. I'll take her home. And you're like, nobody would trust that guy. Nobody. Or uh, there's a guy that's like, hey, cheers after her show and wants to give her a drink. And the guitar player's like, she's had enough. And she's like, I'll tell you I've had enough. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that was a cringe episode. That was really bad. I think that is one of the reasons I was like nail in the coffin, can't renew this show. And then it got a little better. It did. It did. But that episode is like right in the middle of the season. The low point. And I remember watching the first five episodes and be like, oh, why did I ever not like the show? And then episode six started. I was like, oh, God damn it. Like, (laughs) this is why. Mm -hmm. Stupid show. Still liked it, though. Speaking of throwing up on ourselves, where can people find us? You can follow us at One and Done TV on Instagram, Twitter, Hive Social. I'll throw out YouTube Shorts as well. Um, we out here, and we are making shorts out of content you have already heard if you listen to the podcast. Um, you can email us One and Done Pod at gmail dot com and tell us why Bess is not an old romantic story that's been told a million times and why it's very new and why she is you and why Bess is all of us. And we should renew this with flair. Um, And be sure to watch Paul T. Goldman. It's a good show. We'll be back next week with an all new episode of a show that we have not yet determined. So fun times ahead. It'll be a mystery for you and us. In the meantime, I'm going to Florida and John's going to Hawaii. And I will be singing all the way because I'll be going somewhere over the rainbow, but the ukulele version. Right. As long as you sing it with your little voice, John, that's all that matters. Somewhere over the rainbow. What is Gollum doing here? Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media. 